Ladies and gentlemen, all right, here we are. We are here for a session on what we've learned and exploring solutions, also known as the spot we saved for Neil Young, but then he decided he wasn't coming. So, but luckily so much great stuff has gone on today that we're just kind of going to go into it because, you know, we had what, I mean, 18 or so sessions covering all sorts of stuff. The one that I was the most excited about was the one where a bunch of people who have built these huge public databases are talking about how we can, you know, build a rights and licensing and credits database that's open to everybody. But really, you know, it's all about you guys. So it's all about the startups and it's all about the entrepreneurs. And uh, this is kind of an interactive session. So I kind of want to know what you guys all had to, had to say. So starting with interactive sessions, I mean, Hisham ran one downstairs where we were talking about great ideas for Natalie Dawn and Michael Franti and, you know, ways to market the albums. And did anyone come up with anything good? Yeah, it was actually a very interesting session. So the whole idea was talking about releasing albums. But we, we, we started off talking about one thing that's kind of important, which is why our albums still kind of relevant today. A lot of people would assume that in today's attention economy, it's primarily about putting out content, just getting it out there as rapidly as possible. But... We had a cool perspective from Natalie, from an artist's perspective, who said an album to her is part of the creative process. She can't just write a song and call that content. So what we did, we actually listened to music from these albums. So all the people in the room who are essentially our free marketing consultants could actually listen to the music and get it as art and understand that we're going to be promoting art to connect with people. So how do we connect to people through promotions, essentially? So we, we talked about Kickstarter campaigns, pledge music campaigns, and how the idea that artists shouldn't be so afraid to ask for help, essentially. And the, the interesting thing that Natalie did was that she raised over $100,000 on Kickstarter, but she, the, she then signed over to a label. But at the same time, since she, she, she secured that money, she didn't lose any part of the creative control or anything like that. And she did actually applaud her label for handling a lot of the heavy grunt work in terms of day-to-day -day management of certain things. But at the end of the day, she used Kickstarter to fund her album because she wanted a creative process. So fan funding is definitely still something that's being talked a lot about. And then the general answer is that it depends on the artist for a particular thing. So we talked about times of the year to release an album. Is that still even relevant nowadays? Some people would say Michael Franti is like a summertime artist. He's fun. He's vibrant. So they'll release towards June and tour on that. Natalie had a different kind of opinion. She agreed that it does matter what time you should release the album, but you shouldn't kind of bury yourself as to like, well, I'm this kind of artist. I should only release at that time and understanding fan base and so forth. I can go on and on for days, but... That's the general did, did you talk anything about the marketing value of the Kickstarter campaign? Uh, yeah, obviously, direct, direct connections with fans. You're going to reach out to the people who are most interested in you and offering different tiered you know, structures for your, your offering. So if you're more like a regular or casual fan, you'll be more likely to take something like, you know, I'm cool with a digital download, maybe a shirt. If I'll think about the shirt. But if you offer things like, you know, I will go and hang out with you after, after hours at the show in your town, like, okay, that's worth $1,000. I might pledge for that. So it's obviously understanding your, your fan base and offering tiered, uh, you know, incentives for each of them. Cool. And then, you know, so, I mean, we've had a lot of panels and I know for me, one of the biggest things is the direct connection between artists and fans through streaming and connecting them over the net, whether, you know, Shogo or Event Live coming or whatever. And here we got Mr. Mark Scarpa, who's texting, but hopefully he's got something to say. Mark, you've been doing this a little while, right? Yeah, when it was, you know, since 1970. <laughs> so how has it changed over the last couple of years? What, what are you seeing? I mean, are you seeing it being, like, it used to be they'd have to call you or Zane or somebody, or John Luini, and be like, 
It's this big production, but now there are more and more tools. Is that diluting things? Is it allowing artists to connect more directly? I mean, what are you seeing? Well, hopefully they're still calling us, Brian. <laughs> but, uh, in, all, <laughs> in all seriousness, uh, in the 1.0 era, companies like ours, JumpCut and John's company and all those, we had to create a full solution all the way from the engineering services to the players to the back-end distribution and so on and so forth. Now you have all of these different platforms, of course, like YouTube, Ustream, Livestream, Justin TV, and so on. And then you have content management systems such as Uyala and Kaltura and, and so on and so forth. So the, the, the biggest thing that I like to talk about now is the how is no longer an issue. You shouldn't think about how am I going to do this. You should think about why you want to do it and what you want to accomplish. The how is no longer an issue for my panel. I was streaming live from my mobile phone to my own, from my own mobile phone to my own private Ustream channel. So it's, it's that basic now, that easy. And so do you see more and more artists are going to do it? Are they going to be able to monetize it better? I mean, is it going to be more social? Where is it going? Well, a lot more artists are obviously doing it from the stats that, um, that uh, Carl provided. And those stats are really great to have. And it's finally good to have someone that's paying attention to the metrics, uh, as well as being a discovery and a destination vehicle for people. Uh, so no question, more and more people are doing it. So therefore, more and more people doing it means that, of course, there must be a way for them to monetize this in some form of an ROI, whether it's from a marketing, promotion, publicity standpoint, or a straight-up cash perspective. Uh, without question, that's going to continue to grow. From uh, the panel, we really had a nice interaction with the audience where um, everyone came to the very obvious conclusion, but in a unified way, that the live concert experience where you physically go to a show is, is, is not ever going to change. It's like going to a baseball game, right? So you're going to still have a visceral reaction that touches other senses when you're physically at the experience. But just like baseball, you know, you'd watch baseball on TV and you'd get together with your friends just like you might get together and watch the Super Bowl, whatever. And that is an experience unto itself. In the case of music concerts, you have an opportunity to connect that online and that offline audience together with the performer to actually create a whole kind of community experience. Um, so that's something that the business has as an advantage over sports because it's such a regimented, specific way that they go about things. So think of people at home actually being able to affect the stage performance in some way. And that conversation between the people that are physically there and online being able to all work together to create uh, uh, an experience together that they can't really match in one or the other. So it's not either or, it's all for one. Awesome. Thank you. I'm thrilled. Thrilled we finally got you up here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Appreciate I'm thrilled. So, I mean, another of the always popular topics is how artists make money. So we were lucky enough to have Kristen Thompson, who uh, I don't even know what, what, what we call you anymore, but she started the Future Music Coalition with me and a couple other folks, and we did a phenomenal artist revenue survey, and we've had all sorts of great stuff. And what, what can you say about what we've learned? And then maybe throw in a little bit about, you know, East Bay Ray and Steve oh, sure. Reddy. So we had a very, we had a really lively conversation downstairs um, with East Bay Ray from the Dead Kennedys and with Steve Rennie, who manages Incubus, and also uh, moderated by Anthony Bruno. And the things I took away from it were, um, well, first of all, 
that from the musician's perspective, there's um, both a necessity and an opportunity in regards to revenue streams. There's, not, there's a necessity to go looking for new money because some of the traditional revenue streams have really been changed or challenged a lot. That means, you know, mechanical royalties from selling records or sound recording sales. I mean, those have changed drastically over the past 10 years. Um, so, and those were the workhorses for a lot of musicians. But, you know, there's also a lot of new opportunities, whether it's brand new revenue streams that didn't even exist 10 or 12 years ago. For example, the digital performance royalty or money you can make on YouTube, or the things that are facilitated because of technology, fan funding, um, ad revenue, whatever it is, webcasting. So there's this balance that's being struck. And I think um, East Bay Ray brought up a really important point, which is that um, unauthorized file sharing and piracy is still a major concern. Um, there's a lot of folks that are doing a lot of work trying to follow the money, trying to figure out how these services are being funded through ad revenue, um, and East Bay Ray had a lot of important points uh, mentioned about that. Um, Steve Rennie was demonstrating what a good musician manager he is and talking about how important it is to create partnerships that work, you know, that he wants to work with people that can help him help his band make money or do, do good things. So there was a lot of conversations about that. Um, in the long run, we ended up talking a bit about solutions being, you know, there's so many possible solutions, but one that we did talk about a little bit was um, the importance of credits and databases and metadata, which was further discussed later on today or just recently, which we probably should talk about, about sure. another time. So. Cool, thank you. So yeah, what, she, what, she, what, what Kristen mentioned, and I don't see anyone here from that panel, but um, you know, uh, it's really important for people who perform on, on tracks to get credited. It's really important to make it easy to figure out who to license from and all of that stuff. So we had a great session downstairs. Does anyone who was on that panel here know? Uh, so basically, we had Music Brains, and we had Discogs, and we had uh, uh, Dave King, who wrote the con who created the Content ID database for YouTube, as well as Zoe Keating. And what we'd like to do is try to figure out how to enable a global public database that anyone can pull from um, in order to serve credits or to allow easier licensing or any of these sort of things. And the thing that I find most interesting are, when I talk to all these deep technical folks, they're like, well, the tech almost isn't, isn't worth talking about because we know how to build that. The problem is there are folks who don't want their data in there. And that, to me, is a really interesting thing because the way I look at it is, if we can have a database built where it really makes money for, for the folks who participate and provides credit information for as many people as possible, I don't really care if it's blessed by certain people. I think if we can start making money for the folks who participate, it will really expand out of that. So I was thrilled with the folks we had there, and I think we're really going to be able to push it forward. I've had some folks approach me about potentially funding it, um, at which point I go, okay, well, then we better figure out what it is that, that we want to build, because if we know what it is, we can build it, and if we don't know what it is, we can spend unlimited money and never get there. Um, so, you know, a lot of folks are saying things are going to hell. Other folks are saying things are doing well. So I know he doesn't know he's being called on now, but Mike, how are things? Are we going up? Are we going down? What's going I thought on? You were going for Dave. Uh, <laughs> uh, think things are going good. Um, <laughs> things are. are uh, 
as as the I guess the title of my session was about that the the sky is rising, things are good. Uh, there's more money, there's more opportunity. Uh, there are also potentially more challenges, but uh, in in a new and growing market, that's that's what we we want to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, you know that's what that's what I talked about. Are there any takeaways for whether whether it's artists or technology companies for how to move it forward in a productive way? Uh, I, I mean, there were a lot of things, um, and so some of it was um, uh, in terms of recognizing that as these new services grow, um, you know, what we're seeing, as you look at the data kind of around the globe, that where more services are allowed to operate and more experiments are allowed to happen, um, more money is made. Uh, I mean, it sounds like... <laughs> Well, of course, but but it's it's funny how much fighting there is against these services. But the more that we see legitimate new services being allowed to operate and more experiments happening, the faster it seems that communities figure out how to, you know, make money and to do useful. But, but things. it's not all like rainbows and unicorns. There's no. got to be a downside. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, <laughs> there 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 are a lot of rainbows and a lot of unicorns, uh, but there's also I mean there are challenges. And so I mean some of it is the fact that. Because of all of this, there there is certainly there's so there's more content being produced. There are more opportunities to make money, but there are also there's a lot more competition. Uh, there's not as clear a roadmap as before. So you know, for for a lot of artists, a lot of artists who you know um, who couldn't have made any money before, now suddenly there's an opportunity to make money. But for artists who had sort of a simple path to making money in the past, it's now more of a challenge to try and figure out how do they continue to make money or how do they continue make money going forward, but there are you know, lots of ways that are becoming clearer and clearer about how to do that. So, so we're all tech nerds, but, so it may look clear to us, but if you were an artist, how would you approach it in a way where you can take advantage of these things when there's so many options and it's not really clear? Uh, I mean, it, it, the part of it is that it depends. It depends on the artist, depends on the community, depends on their fans, right? Figuring out the best way to connect closely with your fans is, is kind of the key challenge, and that's you know, the one thing that, that we said is, you know, as we look through all the, the stuff, all the examples of artists that are making it work today, you know, over and over again, the thing that you see is that they have figured out how to, how to really connect with their fans. Um, and it's not always in the same way. It's understanding what their fans are and what kind of artists they are and how best to reach that, that audience and, and to connect. And, and in terms of understanding how they connect, w one of the things uh, is, is really figuring out how to, um, be very open and and human was, was the phrase was the term that we used, which is you know not always easy um, for for people to do um, but you know the more that people were able to to express themselves in a way that that um, you know made themselves part of the conversation as opposed to you know putting themselves up on a pedestal the more um, that they seemed to be able to to really build a fan base that strongly supported them in all sorts of interesting ways. Cool, very cool. So Greg. This is your first time here, and I've only seen you perform a couple dozen times. So, uh, did you find anything interesting here? Uh, this is my first time here. I found this fascinating, and I would like to thank you for putting this all together. This is, this is uh, just at the cutting edge. Um, let's see. I put on an album in 1994 called uh, Chance in a Million. It's a zero album. And I, uh, it was on A&M Records, and I wrote on the back, um, protect your karma and ours, 
and send $5 every time you duplicate this album. That's a CD. I got one check for $5. <laughs> Do you remember who it was from? No. <laughs> um, but that was the, the, the beginning. I, I, you know, we used to sell uh, an album to every kid at a small college, and then you sold uh, an album to one kid at a small college, and then everybody else got it from that, from that kid. And so we're all dealing with this. Um, I've heard so much discussion about protecting artists, and that's um, what I like great, uh, best about this this conference is is it's very artist friendly. Um, I'm here as an artist and trying to figure it out. Um, my kids, I'm con I have five children, uh, and they they constantly listen to music, and I constantly interrogate them about where they get their music. And they don't pay for it. And I give them a bunch of shit about it. Um, and they have lots of friends. And so I'm, the, I'm in touch with a lot of young people. They don't pay for their music. Um, and so this gentleman sitting next to me, your excellent question about, so say you're an artist and you're starting out, and what do you want to do? I mean, if you're starting out as a, a carpenter or electrician, your path is clear and you could this is how I'm going to make some money. I'm going to learn my craft, and then I'm going to charge by the hour, and this is what I'm going to do. And if you're an artist, your path is, your path is not clear. And uh, to try to clear this up, it's just, um, it used to be much clearer, as, as everybody in every panel has said today. And so thank you so much for addressing this for, on behalf of artists to try to uh, to suss this out, but as your last comment, as this gentleman next to me said, um, there are a lot of opportunities, and uh, it's just, uh, it's kind of back in the hands of the artists, and that's what I've gotten from this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. What, what, what's your most recent music you're making? What, what, what have you put out? I mean, what are you really working on musically these days? So just so um, people can know and help support it. Well, I had... Um, I'm at gregantonmusic.com. I had four albums come out in 2012. One that I put out is called a band called The Rock Collection and, and three other live albums. I have a band called Zero, and we're playing in April in the Bay Area, and we continue to play. And uh, my big announcement is I have written a book about a musician, and, and I came here to connect with some people about awesome. promoting that book. Uh, hopefully it will come out. Uh, later this year. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Really appreciate it. So one of the things that, I mean, I wish I had more time to do is, I mean, there are hundreds of startups here. I mean, and we can put a bunch on stage and we give people a bunch of one-minute pitches, but then there's tons who we never even get a chance to talk to. So Hans, you want to tell us about your startup? Um, yes, let's jump. <laughs> onto that opportunity. Um, what I see here, uh, just to start off, I, this is, I think, my sixth time here. Thank you. And I was at the first one, and it was still small, and it's getting bigger all the time. I was at the Medium Conference in Cannes a couple of weeks ago, and that tends to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So we're definitely on the right track here. Thanks for putting that up. Thank you. Um, I funded a company called Contenders, and Contenders is focusing on 
creating new revenue streams for artists by uh, releasing iPad apps with a, with a built-in subscription model. And I think uh, um, the first one was re released just a couple of weeks ago. It's the Crosby, Stills, and Nash app, and you can download it for free. The basic idea behind it is it gives an overview of the, of the career of a band and an opportunity to monetize on that career, on that fan relationship. By um, it, it has obviously all the music connects to iTunes. Um, it sees what you have in your uh, in your uh, iPad in your uh, library, iTunes library, and you can uh, obviously uh, buy the tracks that you're missing. But the most important part is the subscription model in which. Um, that makes it possible for you to uh, pay a couple of bucks a month and then uh, get all kinds of stuff that real fans really want to have. Um, the basic idea is to get access to the, to the artists. And you obviously need, need artists that are open to interact with their fans. But that's working. And uh, we're talking to a lot of artists that really get the model. Um, it's only working for artists who are really active in, you know, who are really putting stuff out? Crosby, Sales and Nash. <laughs> oh, the, the the app is called the CSN app, and the company is called Contendis. C O N T E N D I S. And that's just con content distribution. That's the you know that's what it means. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I mean, and that's an interesting thing because the artists really need to be engaged. You know, if you have a subscription service, and if the artists don't really push push anything out you know it's kind of a bummer to be paying and there's nothing new but i do see that as a trend i mean another of the great startups we love here uh you probably know i'm coming to you so uh why don't you say what you're up to and and your yeah. thoughts on the subscription stuff absolutely my name is julian weiser and i'm a co-founder of bundio and this is my other co-founder danny kirchner um we we see that the the distribution model is changing and that the old one isn't working really well for the creators you put out an album every year, year and a half, and then there's this big spike in revenue, and then it slowly declines and eventually flatlines. We see a recurring revenue stream as being very critical to this, as well as we, th we think that a recurring engagement is also very important. So having your fans engage with your content, not just your pithy Facebook status updates. So we, cre we created Bundio so that people can set up a direct-to-fan subscription really easily. And we built it on top of Dropbox so that people can just drag and drop a file into their subscription folder, and it's beamed out to all their subscribers, and then they can just use a direct download button and have all their content go to them. Essentially, we, we see that the model is changing and that people are going to be releasing their content on this more of a recurring nature. And this is where the music industry is headed. I mean, originally, when iTunes came out, there were a lot of artists who held out from putting their things on iTunes because they didn't want to have just that one song downloaded, like Pink Floyd, for instance. So, and, and I understand that, because at that point, you want to look at the piece, the album, as a whole work. But at this point, we're seeing where people are re releasing smaller and smaller pieces of content, and they want to do this because it can keep people engaged throughout the year. So this is where we're at right now with Fundio, and I think that it's, we're kind of moving with the future of how distribution is happening. Thank you. Yeah, very excited about it. I hope we get to get involved. We shall see. Um, and I'm coming. Well, actually, I'll, now I'm going to come to him for a second. Because, Craig, you've been core in this the whole time. And you've been tracking it and trying to stay ahead of it. And, and where do you think it's going at this point? 
Um, I'm a big fan of curation. Um, that is, is really, the problem I've always been trying to figure out is what to play next. So personally, I never know what the hell I want to listen to until I'm listening to something. And so it's, it's figuring out how to do that, how to bring the human in here. Um, Pandora, to me, gets boring after 30 minutes. So how can you combine the best of, say, I, I'm lucky. I live in Seattle. I have KXP, which is a real radio station with real DJs. How can I combine that with the capabilities of you know, the computer? How can I track that all across that? And then uh, you know, the big problem is, how in the hell can I build this product? And, um, but um, eventually, I'm going to get there. And I just uh, keep on coming back here to get inspired and keep on going. And Brian does a great job of that. Thank you, Craig. So, I, you know, I know what I nail and I know what I don't necessarily nail. And one of the things that I should know better is not to put Dave Allen's panel in any room but this one. And I should know that and I screwed it up again. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it looked like a fabulous panel about experiencing music in the future. Did you have any interesting takeaways from that? Time travel. Time travel. <laughs> uh. You know Looper. It's in Looper, right? We need that. Uh, it, it, yes, it was an interesting panel. And it wasn't my panel. And, and I'm really pleased that Kristen did a, a, as good a job as you could possibly do under the circumstances of moderating <laughs> the panel. And um, for those of you who weren't there... You know, I was really um, excited to be on a panel with Max Wiesler. Yeah, he's um, amazing. A very young man. And, 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 and I don't mean that disparagingly. He's, he's just so talented. When he was 19 years old, he built all the, um, the music apps for Bjork's album. And he is fascinated in, in technology and the ability of what we call, in, and any software developers here might agree with me, um, the new narrators. You know, the new narrators are in software now. Right, Greg? Thank you. Um, I don't want to step out of line here. Um, but it's something I talk about in my digital strategy work at North as well. When, you know, in the branding world, when copywriters are always wanting to write copy because that's what they do, um, when you try and explain that, I'm sorry, but software is the narrative now. If it's, say, it's just online video, if it's just motion graphics, or it's telling a story through digital in a different way, then the copywriters have to adapt to that. Um, so it got very heated down there because Max is just coming at it from, I, when someone asked a question based on, but what about traditional means of making music? And I was trying to parent Max a bit. You know, I, I have children of my own about his age, and it's like, I got to look out for him here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoyed it because it was like, he doesn't come at it from a traditional point of view, just like my students at the University of Oregon don't. They, they've grown up in this. And if I say things like to certain people here in the room when we played at the Jones Temple, not far from here, in 1978, and it was so packed. It was a big punk rock show, and it was so packed. I mentioned on the panel Andy Gill, our guitarist, had an asthma attack. He lost his inhaler. And I said, um, anyone in the audience got, a, got, a, got an inhaler? And we were just bombarded with asthma inhalers. You know, inhalers. <laughs> <just> like, <clears throat> okay, so it's a bit smoggy here. 
<laughs> we're from England. <laughs> um, but because Max doesn't know that, right? He, he would have to go backwards in time to see all the video, if, 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 even if there is any video. And then we're... Have you checked YouTube? I, you know, honestly, it was probably even pre-anyone wandering around with a video camera in there. Who knows? It didn't matter back then, by the way. That, you know, like uh, I've often said, uh, social in England was called going down the pub. And um, <laughs> we didn't have to worry about technology. Um, but then in the, on, the, on the panel, it, it, there were some people in the audience who were validly concerned about technology and its effects on music. But that disregards the fact that just recording an album is a technological act that messes with the music. How many multiple takes do you do? Uh, how many tapes do you splice together to get the right backing track? You know, you're messing with technology all the time. So we kind of got to get over this hump and accept that new technologies come along all the time. Uh, as Chris Anderson, from former editor of Wired Magazine, said, um, the internet is one of those 100-year technologies that disrupts everything, business, culture, society. It won't stop. There's nothing we can do. We need people like Max trying to work out what is the future, which is always very debatable to even go down that path. Um, I don't know what the future of music is, but what I do know is that musicians are here to stay. They're always going to be making music, and we must applaud that, and we must support them. But we have to get away. Go on, then. Yay! <laughs> that's not for me. That's for all the musicians in the world other than me. Um, so we have to support them in all of their endeavors, but we have to find a way uh, as we uh, apply technology to these uh, systems and, and art forms, what does it look like in the future and how are musicians involved in the um, financial transaction. And I really want to get beyond pirating music, stealing music. You know, These conversations stop us going forward at conferences like these. And I always hope, I mean, I skip every other one. I think I've been to about 10 or something. I love coming down here. Brian does a great job. And he must be always commended for that. But I sometimes... <laughs> for Brian. Thank you. Thank you. Where's the champagne? Um, Downstairs. Good. I'll be down. After this. All right, great. Six um, o'clock. But, you know, um, <laughs> I skip some because I don't feel we've actually made advances. And I think we need to challenge ourselves at these sort of conferences and stop being inside a bubble, and step outside, see what the world's actually doing, see what young people want, and then we can bring it back around, and then we can have different panels. Um, just one last thing, I've probably over-talked here, but one last thing. I, I, I said to you, Brian, I wanted to do a presentation on majority world, mm -hmm. and by majority world, I mean what once was known as developing countries. Um, in my world as a digital strategist, I came across um, so much data about very quickly, you know, the population of the United States is about 300 million. 293 million people in the United States are already online. But when you look at majority world, especially Asia, there's about 2.1 billion of them online, but there are 5 billion population. So that's where the action is. So if you're a shoegazer band in Portland staring at your feet, you might want to think about who your audience is and how you're going to reach them because it's tapped out in the U.S. We, we're reaching everyone. Um, I, I still want to do that, please. Awesome. Did you hear me? He said yes. 
Love having you, Dave. I really appreciate it. Thank you. So we did have tons of startups, and we love when Josh runs them because in reality, he's pretty clued in. So we had some distribution stuff. We had some payment stuff. What are the themes? What, did you th what, what do you see as the hot startups moving forward? Yeah, I thought there was, there was two sort of emergent trends. Like One thing that we're really seeing is people taking big swings at really fundamental problems in the music industry. Uh, and that's when you look at it, it's like if you were to ask any musician or any music listener, like, what's your big problem? This is like the, the startups that we, some of the startups we saw today were the ones that are actually trying to solve these problems. You know, one of the biggest ones is artists aren't making enough money. And I thought we saw a really incredible startup called Copper, which is allowing people to just go to any musician's website and just give them money, just tip them money. And Copper goes, tracks down that artist and hands them that money, which I thought was really brilliant. Like that's, that's fundamentally solving a problem that lots of musicians have. But really, unfortunately, I think we see something very unique in the music technology world, which is that there's a lot of startups that are sort of built around maybe just the founder's idea of a problem. Not what musicians need or not what fans need, but just what the founder would like. And that's, that's a really a big issue because it, lends to, it leads to this myopia where you just are trying to build something that's really small. And you, know, you have to think, like if this was a totally hit success, would it change the world? Would it change the way we experience music or the way we listen to music or the way music is created? And if the answer is like, it'd be a little better, like that's not good enough. And you can't like, don't spend your life building something to make something a little bit better. Go out there and take a big swing at a huge issue and you know, build a great team, raise money, like go at it strong. Don't just sit by yourself in your garage and think like you're gonna build something that like a few people are going to enjoy because we need bigger solutions than that. There's big enough problems in music for us to take the big swings. It's like, you know, it's like, well, I don't want 140 characters. I want a flying car. So, you know, that's something Peter Thiel said. And I think we need to think about it the same way. It's like, I don't want, you know, a slightly better way to, you know, keep track of the music that I want to listen to next. It's like, I want there to be more music in the world fundamentally. Like, I want there to be more artists in the world. I want more artists to go from being like, I get to make music for two hours a week after work to being like, hey, I can make $5,000 a month on this. I can pay for my rent. I can make albums and I can do this as a living. And so I just urge technology, technologists and entrepreneurs out there, if you're thinking about a startup, don't just sit at home and think of what you want. Go and ask other people. Go ask musicians and fans and venues and the people that work in this industry what their biggest problem is and solve that. Thank you. We love having you, Josh. It's fabulous. And then we had the Innovators Showcase, where a bunch of different companies, uh, you know, a lot of the earlier stage folks came up, and uh, Diana ran that. So were there any themes or anything like that that you noticed from the companies that we ended up holding up as the Innovators? Uh, good question, Brian. I think that um, unlike uh, some, uh, some similar demo panels, um, or even in past years, unlike those situations, we didn't see... Um, a prevalence of Me Too startups. So we actually saw some new ideas. Um, one theme, um, as others have been talking about, was curation. Um, and also finding ways of um, making, managing social media, um, finding ways of managing different social media services, um, whether for um, users and fans, or for the artists themselves. Um, we've seen such a prevalence of different types of 
social media platforms that it's become overwhelming both for artists as well as um, their audience to manage. So um, we saw a lot of solutions for that. Um, and uh, the other theme that I thought was interesting from the conference today had to do with um, general uh, new um, gold standards in digital marketing that came out of the digital marketing panel, some insights there, as well as um, branded content from the music brands and technology panel. Um, just a couple of quick points on those. Um, the uh, digital marketing panel pointed out that um, whereas before it was okay to maybe put a website up, um, now we're in a much different era, obviously, and social media and the use of that is, is very necessary. Um, the other point from the branded content panel is that there are huge opportunities for brands now to partner with artists and create original content. And rather than having something that feels and looks like an ad, it's actually something that people want to watch and want to engage with. And this is becoming a huge opportunity in marketing, especially in the medium of the internet. And the other component is that of that is that these artists also have a huge social media follower reach that can be capitalized on. So these are new opportunities in advertising and marketing which are finally taking hold and um, ushering in a new era of marketing that is in partnership with music and artists. Awesome, awesome. Did also want to mention, I don't know if you guys noticed the oil can guitars out there by Bohemian Guitars. They're fa absolutely fabulous. You buy one, another gets given away to some deserving youth, and they've got a great Kickstarter campaign, and I'm mentioning it, A, because they're awesome, and B, because if I mention it, they're going to let me keep the guitars. So just thought I'd do that for a second. Um, and they are awesome, actually. I totally highly recommend them. So, you know, you got all sorts of people who, like, are doing startups and all sorts of people who are doing it on their own. And then you got like the big players in the game who can make stuff happen. And, and, but how can they afford you? Equity. <laughs> um, yeah, one, um, one thing, Brian, that I've, and I... Tell them who you are. I'm John Blaufarb. I'm a San Francisco-based music and entertainment technology attorney. And founder and general great guy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Love you too, baby. But one one thing that was um, striking me was that compared to back when you started this, there was such a, a gaping chasm between the technology sector and the content creation sector, and we had some pretty good arguments back in those days with with some of the technologists saying. This sucks. What what is with all these idiots in the music business? And you know the content should just be available. And then and I'm somebody who spent more of my time. I mean I represent labels and music companies, but spent more of my time representing artists. And I was sitting there having to do this defense of labels too. And I feel like now while there's still we got a lot of ground to cover, still things have gotten much more cohesive and everybody's working, not everybody, but many of the parties are working together towards a common goal. There's been an acceptance finally amongst the content creators, including artists, even though we you know, complain about the lack of certain revenues, but I think 
I mean, it is what it is. The genie's out of the bottle. It's not going back to selling hard pieces of plastic ever. And I think there's a much greater spirit of cooperation in trying to forge these solutions. And I think SF Music Tech has been a great forum for people to work this kind of stuff out in a fairly neutral setting. So uh, anyway, thanks for that, Brian. Thank you. And um, I don't know why I'm reminded of this, but uh oh, your your <laughs> drunk your drummer Dave Hugo. Um, when I signed a band to Hugo years ago, what, what's that? No, no. But but I. Uh, Hugo, the Gang of Four drummer, who's a lovely gentleman, one time I signed a band to Hugo when he was at Imago Records, and Hugo got the name of the band tattooed That's on dedication. His shoulder. That's dedication. And that is dedication. Sometimes we live to regret certain of our dedicated <laughs> moments, but it really said he was jumping in with uh, both feet, and uh, may we all continue to do that. So thanks, Thank Brian. you. Thank you. Thank you. I did want to get an engineer's perspective. Mr. Stephen Hart, what are your thoughts? I think, uh, hi, Stephen Hart. I'm a producer, engineer. I'm also with the Grammys uh, National Trustee. And I have to ask you technologists to stop calling music content. It just rubs me the wrong <laughs> way, man. I mean, call it music, please. Uh, I, I'm like, I'm, this is great, by the way. This panel right now is awesome. Um, I'm very jaded after a whole lifetime of doing this. And um, I basically, I have no clue where it's going. I hear a lot of, there's new things and there's 12 years of rehashed ideas being passed around. Uh, me, I'm... I'm really happy in this time being a major fan. And I mix music that I love. And uh, I don't know, I, I just want to thank musicians. And, you know, you guys just keep it going. Um, figuring out where the money is. We're, we're, we're doing our best. We're doing our best. And we're almost wrapping it up. But here's a dynamic duo. What do your guys take on this? I'll speak for Gigi. She has she lost her voice. <laughs> well, um, I used to be a music critic, and I quit because it made me not like music anymore. And music's the most important thing to me. And so I've done lots of other things <laughs> in the interim, but it's still my greatest love. And the thing that I took away from this today that was exciting was the artist-centric viewpoint. And it was not at the denigration of the engineering or the because I kind of come from a more technical background and. Um, I found that really um, happy making, and um, it's still it's a hard road. It's uh, really, I mean, I think the hardest thing is discovery. The technology's there for so many other things, and I want to get in line to help somebody with discovery because I think that's, I make playlists forever. I don't, I put them up all over, but it, nowhere's right. It isn't, somebody build us the perfect playlist environment, and I think the world will follow. So that's my tiny takeaway, but very beautiful show. Thank you so I'm much. I'm thrilled you got to make it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Gigi says thank you, too. 
And basically, I'm thrilled you all got to make it because it's all of you folks who come out and care who are making a better future for the musicians and for the, everybody involved, the fans, and tying it all together. So I really appreciate it, and let's go down and get some drinks. Thank you.